welcome to episode 12 of Getting Real About. Today, the ladies get real and raw about a heavy topic, stress, anxiety, and depression. Mandy, Mariah, Kira, and Jen talk about their own struggles dealing with these issues, how to recognize signs of depression, and some encouraging ways to help someone who might also be struggling. All right, ladies, it's time to get real. Welcome to another episode of Getting Real About. My name is Mandy Jones, and I am honored to be here with three of not only my coworkers, but what I would call three of my friends. And we are here today to talk about probably the heaviest topic we've talked about on Getting Real About, and that is stress, anxiety, and depression. So all of us here deal with this in some form and have for a while. And I just, we are just going to be as open and honest as we can about this. And we know kind of the severity of the topic and we just want to bring awareness to it and kind of open up that conversation for anybody out there who is struggling with this or doesn't know where to go. Our goal today is to give some type of encouragement for you to talk to somebody, to listen to this, to share this with somebody. If you know somebody who's struggling, that is what we are here to do today is just to bring awareness to mental health and how we can kind of process through these things together. So again, like I said, my name is Mandy. I have been married to my husband for nine years and I have two kids, a five-year-old and an almost three-year-old. So busy with little ones. And I have struggled mostly with stress and anxiety. Those are my two big triggers for majority of my life. I really recognized it when I was in high school and the idea of always having to be perfect, good grades, good at sports, never anything less than perfect. And I've struggled with that a lot in a lot of different ways. Um, But I'd like to introduce my friends here. So Mariah, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you. Yeah, hello, I am Mariah and I uh, am the children's pastor actually at our Lake Stevens campus. And I've been married to my darling husband, Mark, for 10 years and we have three boys. We have a six-year-old, a four-year-old, a newly four-year-old and a baby who's, oh my gosh, seven months, eight months now. And um, I definitely would say that I identify with the anxiety and the depression aspect of these. Um, I manage stress well. I'm good under stress. (laughs) It's the anxiety and the depression that um, are not so easy for me. I started struggling with them in um, fifth grade when my parents split up and it's been a lifelong struggle since then. Mm -hmm. And it's manifested itself at different times in different ways. It's been worse at times, better at times. Um, and the way that it crops up and how it's, it's, you never know when it's coming. And so those are things that I've struggled with and, uh, yeah, so that's me. All right, Kira, introduce yourself. Okay. My name's Kira Monica. I have been married 24 years to my husband, Eric, and we have two boys. Uh, I have a senior in high school, an 18 year old and a seventh grader. Uh, So he's 12, almost 13. So um, I would say I have had some times of depression, um, not super heavy depression for myself, but through the years. And it's something that kind of runs in our family history. But I would say probably about the past year and a half, it's been mostly anxiety and some depression within my immediate family. So, and I've seen each member of my family uh, at their low point in life and that it has just been hard as far as a mom and uh, kind of 
learning through that and and trying to just navigate that 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 season so all right jen introduce yourself please i am jen um i've been married to link for 15 years now uh we've been together 17 years um i have three little boys just like mariah we um my oldest is eight preston Parker is six and Price is a year old. Oh my gosh. I'm so sad. That went so fast. <laughs> yeah, it did. Um, as far as my struggles, uh, it's just all three, all the time. <laughs> um, uh, the depression kind of started early, like Mariah did. The anxiety came in after a car accident 17 years ago. And then um, the stress is just in a stressful COVID world. Um, yeah. So it's just kind of, it's all three of them. And it's, uh, in a lifelong struggle so yeah I mean if COVID did anything it stressed us out (laughs) I think more than we need to so whether or not you have it and we're all moms all dealing with that and just life trying to navigate it so we're going to get into the discussion today and I'm going to talk through some stats don't want to bore you guys with these but I found them very interesting and so we're just going to kind of tackle some of these here so it says that more than 264 million people suffer from depression worldwide Anxiety disorders are the highest reported mental health issue in the U.S. with 42.5 million Americans. Women are nearly twice as likely as men to have depression. 10% of children and young people aged 5 to 16 years have a clinically diagnosable mental problem. Yet 70% of children and adolescents who experience mental health problems have not had appropriate interventions at a sufficiently early age. There are 4.5 million children in the United States diagnosed and living with anxiety. Suicide is one of the leading causes of death for 15 to 19 year olds. Approximately 70 to 80% of women will experience at minimum the baby blues. Many of these women will experience the more severe condition of postpartum depression or related condition. When including women who have miscarried or have had a stillbirth, around 900,000 women suffer from postpartum depression annually in the U.S., and two-thirds of those who commit suicide struggle with depression. So let's go ahead and kind of unpack these stack these stats. So what we're going to start with first, where again, men, I know a lot of men do deal with depression, but I think it's interesting that women struggle with it twice as much as men do. So why do you guys feel women have a higher percentage over men as far as experiencing depression? That's a good I mean, I can only speak to being a woman, I I can't speak to what it would be Mm -hmm. like, you know, I, I feel like it, that's a interesting statistic because I think for us, we could easily say, well, it's because we have so many more pressures. We've got kids, we've got jobs, we've got households, we've got, but then I also think, oh man, but my poor husband, he's got to, he's got to provide for my, his family. Mm -hmm. He has to deal with the post COVID or the thick of COVID world and jobs and what that requires and mandates. And so I, I can't speak to the statistic, but I know that as a woman sitting here feeling like the pressures are insane as a woman, as a mom, as a, a, an employee, as a pastor, as a, all of these things, the pressures get deeper and deeper and stronger and stronger and more and more. And so when you have all of that compounding on itself, Mm -hmm. it lends itself to depression or anxiety or whatever. So that's my take on it. I think women are more the caretakers. And so it's more up to us to make sure everything else is okay. Mm. And that's a lot of pressure. I don't, there are men that are caretakers. They're just not 
as many as there is women. Women are always the one. I mean, my son runs right past his father when he's <laughs> yeah, himself <laughs> and comes straight to me. And I'm like, I'm in the bathroom. Could you please <laughs> just get a Band-Aid and deal with it yourself They're with fine. your father? So, I, I mean, it's just, you know, it's things like that. I forget what the analogy is, but we had talked about this in one of my women's groups last year about how... Um, is it a woman's brain is like a waffle? Is that what it is? The waffle and a men's is, do you guys not I think they're waffle, we're spaghetti. Waffle, mm. yes. Okay. Yes, well, yes, you're right. I'm, Clue I got me and I don't understand okay. this. Men's brains are like a waffle, women is like a, a spaghetti. They think mm-hmm. one thing at a time mm. to go from like that be nice? the piece to the piece. That, uh-huh. And a woman's mind, thank you, Jen, for correcting me on that, is like spaghetti where we are constantly mm-hmm. all over the map mm-hmm. of the appointments, Mm -hmm. the dinners, the drop-offs, the pickups, the homework, Mm -hmm. backpacks, shoes on, just all day long, the constant list and things and being interrupted in your work day or in whatever it is that you're doing Mm -hmm. with something that's needed attention for your spouse or for your kids where guys are thinking about work. Well, and (laughs) we've got something later. And it's not like the doctor's like, did your father forget to get your coat? No, no, no. It's the mom. <laughs> the mom. Did your mother forget to get your coat? So, I mean, they they kind of have a, a pass sometimes on that responsibility. Yeah. <laughs> to that point, I was just thinking the other day about how it's so funny when my son gets out at, you know, in the afternoon and he, my husband picks him up from school. And it's so funny because every day I'm like, did he make it on time? Did he mm-hmm. get there? I'm like, he never worries whether or not <laughs> I've shown up on time right. to drop him off for school. But I'm like, oh, my gosh, what if Mark didn't make it on time? What if he's just <laughs> sitting in his classroom by himself? <laughs> Sorry, that's a tangent. No, but, but it's, like, it's a constant it. thing, though. I <laughs> think that every that day. Sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. when I put my daughter on the bus, I'm like, I really hope the bus driver gets her to school and she gets off. And I get really excited when I get an update from her teacher showing the class. And I'm like waiting to see my child and they're like, okay, she's there. (laughs) We are good. She made it. Yeah. But so with that, so all of us do have kids. And with that, like I said, one of, I mean, the stats that I read that 70 to 80% of women will experience at minimum, the baby blues. And beyond that, a lot of women are, you know, dealing with postpartum depression, which is a very serious thing. And I think something that's been drawn more to light in Mm -hmm. recent years, I would say, which I think is good. But is this something as far as kind of, you know, we, all of us here, like we said, have deal with some form of depression or some form of anxiety. Has postpartum been a piece of that for any of you guys, you guys want to share about those struggles at all? Yeah, I think, uh, that has been in the most recent years because that's where I'm at. That's where it has manifested itself. Um, again, I started having depression when my parents, my parents, both my parents have been addicted to antidepressants. Um, and I use the term addicted loosely, um, dependent Mm -hmm. might be a better way to put it for most of my life. And so I always just, it was just part of our day-to-day life was my parents needing it. And so even in the midst of struggling with my stuff as an adolescent, I didn't do anything about it until it became postpartum, until that's how it became, Mm -hmm. how it manifested itself again. It started with my second. um, I didn't, don't know if I felt anything after my first um, Royce. I don't think I had anything. I don't remember. I may not have just known what to put, how to put words to it. Exactly. Yeah. What you're feeling. Yeah. But um, after, before my, my middle Pratt, we had a miscarriage and Mm -hmm. that was just, 
devastating. The idea that I had been faithful. God told me, Mm -hmm. called me to more kids. I was faithful. I said, okay, I'm willing to stop whatever dreams I have for a career or whatever in order to make sure that I'm faithful to God to have this baby and then to lose a baby. Mm. This baby that I prayed for, this baby that I dreamt of, the one that I wanted, the one that was cherished and loved and to lose that and to blame myself for it. And then, so there was a lot of anxiety and depression there. And then after my middle Pratt and after my youngest now Briggs, um, yeah, we, I struggled with with postpartum anxiety and postpartum depression. And it sounds like this phrase that kind of just gets tossed out, but it is so real and it's so confusing. Mm -hmm. That's, I think the biggest thing is the idea that I don't know, I, I didn't understand what I was feeling because it felt so different. It felt so weird. And so to have that, like, it's very confusing feeling to have and to sit there and say, I I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's happening, but I'm crying all the time or I'm not Mm -hmm. crying when I should be crying or whatever. And so it was definitely something I struggled with a lot. I struggled with it as well. Um, With my second, which was also interesting, um, and my third. But with my second, it it hit me when he was like a year. Mm -hmm. It wasn't right away. And so I was like, Mm -hmm. this can't be it. But... Um, the day that I knew that it was as bad as it was, is when my husband came home from work and I said, the boys are in their room, the baby's in the crib. And if I don't leave right now, I'm going to take this pillow and smother my baby. Mm. At that moment, that's when I knew that, um, I needed help Mm -hmm. and I love my baby. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's the hardest part. So, you know, I hear like moms who drive their vans into the river with mm-hmm. their family mm-hmm. and I get it. Mm-hmm. It's not right, obviously, right? But it, I get it. Mm-hmm. It's a, uh, you get to this point and you just don't know what to do. And so, um, and then with my third, it, it came, it was a little bit earlier and I was going back to work and I was freaking out. Because I didn't work with my first two. And then I'm working with my third and I have to go back to work. And um, it was, you know, I passed all the tests at the midwife Mm -hmm. class Mm -hmm. or the midwife appointment. Because they said, because I kept saying, I want to be with my baby all the time. And they're like, oh, that's normal. Mm. Like, "Uh, I don't think it's quite that normal when I'm freaking out when he's three feet away from me. Mm -hmm. Like, I would tell my husband and I would be fighting about arguing about something and he was holding the baby and I would say, give me my baby. I need my baby. And I turned him into this comfort Mm -hmm. thing. And, um, and so putting him in daycare and, and coming back to work was the hardest thing ever, but they missed the signs of, obsessing almost of Mm -hmm. I need this child on me or with me a hundred percent of the time as far as like you said you used him for comfort but as like you were worried about him yeah so this postpartum was more anxiety driven Mm -hmm. low leveling like just constant because I remember with my first my husband took him to the store like day three 
and I was fine. I went to bed, you know, I took a nap, mm-hmm. whatever. I had no problem. My son Price is a year old and he has been in like it took me until he was six months old to leave mm-hmm. him with anyone else, mm-hmm. even my husband. Mm-hmm. And still to this day, my mom's like, Can I babysit? I'm like, No, <laughs> I don't think you can. You can but really you can, but <laughs> but I'm like, no. And so it's still this, it, it goes both ways where the first time with Parker, it was like, I'm going to kill this baby because of just the problems in my head, mm-hmm. even though I loved him to death. And then this one, it's, I'm going to kill myself because mm. I can't physically separate myself mm. from this baby. I think it's so interesting that it even your experience between the two different Mm -hmm. children, it created itself into a different experience. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where it gets so hard to talk about these things because you want to relate, but at the same time, you don't even relate to your previous Mm -hmm. example, right? Like your your experience between Parker and Price were completely opposite. Mm -hmm. And so relating to other people who are experiencing what we're experiencing is so hard because it doesn't look the same. Mm -hmm. And you're dealing with anxiety and depression. I'm dealing with anxiety and depression, but they look different. Mm -hmm. I think that's where we have such a hard time being vulnerable and open about it because we want to know that we're not alone. And it's easy for me to say, I get that you're not alone, but mine looks different. Mm -hmm. And so it's just, we wish it was just like a circle and a circle hole, a square and a square yes. hole. It's hard a to textbook. have it be different mm-hmm. because we don't, as women, we want to put words to it. We mm-hmm. want to put answers to it. And when we can't, because it's different and confusing, we get lost. Yeah. And I think it's interesting. Like you said, you passed the um, pediatrician tests, right? Mm-hmm. So when, when you go in for, you know, your baby's appointments and stuff and they give you the the sheet and you like as the mom, like mm-hmm. they give the mom, you know, your sheet at the appointments to ask how you're doing on a scale of like zero to five or whatever they end up doing your range. But when we were kind of talking about this earlier, I said the range is like you're completely fine or you're about ready to like jump off the cliff and right. someone needs to save you. Right. And I just I remember because I, I feel like one thing for me is that I've always been so conscious, like I understand where and a lot of my anxieties come from. I under, I, I know my triggers and I know a lot of the reasoning behind it, which I don't know if it makes it any easier or not, but I also, when I look at that sheet and know I'm not okay, but I don't have time for it. Mm -hmm. I don't have time to be depressed. Right. I don't Mm -hmm. have time to not be okay. I don't have time to have them say, okay, now you need to go spend all this time in these hours. Mm -hmm. You need to, you know get on probably this. You probably need to talk to somebody. You probably should do that when it's like, I'm kind of in this range and I know I probably could use a little bit of help, but I'm not like so extreme that I want you to check me into like a home, Mm -hmm. but how, like, can you give me a little bit of support there? But, and it's so hard to just, to really feel like you can just say to somebody like, I am not okay. Right. Mm -hmm. Without getting committed. Exactly. (laughs) Without saying that. And so with all of this, you know, we've said the four of us work together. We all work for a church. And so we are four Christian women and we struggle with these issues. And I think a lot of people perceive that Christians are supposed to be perfect or think that we can't have problems. And, um, I know you guys all kind of have something to, to say about this, this piece here, but let's talk about that. Like, why do we decide to struggle through these things alone? Like, I know I said, it's, it's, I, 
for me, I don't want to put that burden on somebody else. I a lot of times feel like it's just me and I need to fix me. But talk to me about why do you guys feel we, you know, I don't know if it's just as women or if it's really all people who, you know, deal with these issues, decide to struggle through these things alone. Well, I think it's, it's funny. I think that initially nobody will understand or nobody's going to kind of get it. But whenever you go through something difficult or whenever you share it, you get people nodding, you do get the people that understand. So I don't know. It just seems like you just feel like you're going to be alone in it. You feel like you're the only ones that the only one that's experienced these emotions. Um, and you just feel almost paralyzed from being alone and that you can't, uh, kind of move through it. But every, it's funny. I, I think almost, I was trying to look back every time you do share, every time you get that thing out and give it sort of freedom and give it air. It just, you, you feel, uh, you feel lighter and you find understanding, you know, you mm-hmm. find people who really do get it and you don't, and you realize, Hey, I am not alone. So. Hmm. Well, and Jen, I know you had, um, you said that you don't share as much because you don't want to be the fragile piece of China mm-hmm. is kind of the the phrase that you use there. Do you want to expand on that a little yeah, bit? Sure. Um, sharing makes people uncomfortable. They want to fix it. I have a husband that always wants to fix it. I'm mm-hmm. like, just listen. Um, and the dead air is really uncomfortable for people. Mm-hmm. And so, cause I was listening to the radio the other day and there was some dead air. I'm like, what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> Somebody talk Somebody now. talk <laughs> now. Because it's just, it, it's uncomfortable. And mm-hmm. so to just sit with someone and do nothing just they the other person struggling doesn't even have to say anything they mm-hmm. just have to sit there mm-hmm. and like um i said before all this the best part about this for people listening is they don't have to fix our problems mm-hmm. that we're going through and that we're talking about they get to just internalize it and rest and sit with this mm-hmm. uh there's a great movie it's called some same kind of different as me a lady in it just got a um, cancer diagnosis and they just sit for five mm-hmm. minutes in this film and normally that's like dead air that's mm-hmm. bad for the film but it just shows the power mm-hmm. of just sitting mm-hmm. next to someone mm-hmm. just being present yeah mm-hmm. i also think that as christian women we are in we are bred to be encouraging and we are mm-hmm. we may not be bred to fix it like we associate men with but we are bred to encourage that's what women do and that's the beauty of community but it's also i think detrimental in a lot of ways because when you're sitting here sharing your story with us it's easy for us to say we should make her feel better we mm-hmm. should encourage her we reaction. should mm-hmm. yeah we want to tell you oh well we want maybe not fix it, but we want to, you know, give you a verse to encourage or say you're not alone or whatever. But sometimes there is beauty and just being able to say, it's okay that you're not all right. Like Mm -hmm. it's fine. It's, it's not okay to stay there, Mm -hmm. but it's okay to be there and feel that. And we'll be here and we'll just sit. Mm -hmm. And I think when you can become secure in your faith, and in your relationships to the place where you can do that without feeling like you have to be the one to, to make them feel better. There's beauty in knowing that 
if Jen's sitting here crying and telling me about her struggles, I can say, I'm so sorry. And I'll mm -hmm. sit here with you. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to fix you. Mm -hmm. You need to get help if that's what's needed. You mm -hmm. know, I'm not, we don't get to allow people to be in toxic places mm -hmm. in their life, but we don't have to be the one to say like, let me help you. We Thank can you. just say, this really sucks. Mm -hmm. And it's okay that mm -hmm. you're feeling this way. And I want you to be able to feel your feelings. I don't want anyone to ignore them. So. Well, and then mm -hmm. not like after the fact, not walk on eggshells around me. Yeah. You know, like yeah. still, I, I, the thing I hate the most is when you tell somebody that you're struggling and they're like, oh, we can't invite her to that. She's going to be upset. Like mm -hmm. a baby shower oh, after yeah. a miscarriage. Mm -hmm. I hate the, oh, we're not going to invite her because she's going to be sad about that. Mm -hmm. No, like invite her. Let her choose. Let her mm -hmm. choose. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. And if she, and if it's hard for her and she still comes, sit with her. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let it be. Well, and so, my question is what advice, I mean, we're, we're talking about advice as far as like being there for somebody, but somebody who is maybe recognizing this for themselves, that they are dealing with these issues, they are struggling and maybe they don't know. And I think that's something I said to you guys here that makes me sad in a way. And it's something I've been told a lot in my life of, I never would have known you put on a really good show. Mm. Like you mm. don't, um, you don't let people see it. And as much as I take that as a compliment of like, Ooh, I look like I got it. <laughs> I've got it mostly together, but there are a lot of people in my life who are like, no, she does not have it all together. <laughs> but is that, you know, that kind of persona or that mask that you feel like that layer you have to put over yourself to not experience that. I imagine there are a lot of people out there. I didn't know some of the depths of things that even the three of you have struggled with. And I work with you every single day and I call mm -hmm. you guys friends. Mm -hmm. And it's not to say that you have to sit down and share your entire life story with me, but it makes me sad to not know that or to not know that I could help, could, I, or, you know, not fix the problem, but sit, mm -hmm. but have the conversation and know, oh, I deal with that too. Like, how have you, you know, been dealing with that? Or how can, you know, you know, how can I help if that's what you need? Or how can I sit with you or come alongside you in that? So, not necessarily of the steps of being there for the person, but the person who needs to, to let somebody know, do you guys have advice for the person who's maybe has, is feeling like they're having feelings of depression or feel like they're dealing with anxiety and maybe they haven't let anybody in their life know what, who, who do you reach out to? What, what would be your step? Hmm. Well, I think just well, being able to be honest, kind of, you know, um, whether it's work friends or other friends, but, you know, it almost feels like, um, you know, during the pandemic, it has almost, you find people who are saying, I'm not, you know, I'm not okay. Or this has been a really hard week. This is a really hard day, or this is a, a really difficult situation. And I think that is kind of one of those um, sort of blessings that has come out of it is that we are learning to say, this sucks right now. Mm -hmm. And I am having a terrible time. And to just be able to um, be honest about what you feel is, again, kind of like I, like I said, it's, it's freeing. It's like, I don't have to, you know, I just, I, I know, because I think, I know I will be okay. I know it will be okay. But for this moment, I just want somebody to sit with me and like, mm -hmm. you know, we've said, just say, yeah, that sucks, but I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm here for you. Or just even give a hug or um, just, just to take a few minutes to listen. 
is really just being able to be honest about the the low emotions also um and not just oh it's fine i'm good you know just being able to um open up to really what you're experiencing on any given moment any given day any given meeting or you know whatever the case may be so well that's good well and so one thing that we kind of had talked about before is or mariah and jen you guys have talked about dealing with depression at a young age and kind of like i said on our stats here there are you know 4.5 million children who are diagnosed and living with anxiety um 10 of children and young people aged 5 to 16 years have some form of a clinically diagnosable mental problem but then they're saying how 70 percent of those kids haven't received the right kind of treatment in that and so i'm kind of throwing this to mariah and jen here as far as you know when you were young and kind of dealing with this and going through those, you know, what was, what was that like for, did you feel that there were resources for you? Did you understand what that was like? So, I mean, I guess we're kind of here maybe talking to parents who maybe have a kid, if they start recognizing maybe specific signs or different things here, or, you know, how did you guys feel in those moments of understanding and recognizing what depression was like as a kid? I would speak for myself. I don't think there was much for me or I didn't feel that there was much there. I'm sure there was. I remember going to a counselor. Mm -hmm. My parents split up when I was in fifth grade, but they didn't get divorced until I was a sophomore in high school. And so Mm -hmm. we had about four or five years of like this weird limbo Mm -hmm. where they're working on it. They're not. They're together. Then they're not. They're living to like, maybe dad will move back in, but then he's not. And so in this, I remember going to counseling and I loved my counselor. I I thought he was great and it, it was very beneficial, but it didn't fix it. And so, but I didn't know to put words to it. I Mm -hmm. didn't understand what I was feeling. And it wasn't until I was in high school and I started using coping mechanisms like dating and, um, you know, trying to fulfill myself in that regard. Mm. And it got to, it did get to the point where I attempted suicide when I was in high school. And I think it, I don't know. I feel like I wish I had known there was more. Mm -hmm. I wish I had known what options I had. And I think, I don't know whether it's, I, I don't blame my parents. They were in their own grief. Mm -hmm. They were stuck in their own grief. Their mindset was not keep an eye on your kid. And I don't think I have never even told them that I've tried to commit suicide. I don't even know if they know, um, because I don't, it didn't work. (laughs) So, but I just feel like I wish there had been someone to tell me there is something for Mm -hmm. you. There is a way to get Mm -hmm. you help. There is something you can do. And I would encourage parents listening who have kids who are adolescents and teenagers. I mean, I don't see it in my children because I've got a six-year-old. But if I had had somebody, if my parents could have had the wherewithal to step out of their own grief, which I don't know how you do that. So I don't blame them for it, Mm -hmm. but to step out of their own grief long enough to say something's going on with her, we need to get her help. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with your child needing something. And I think that if I had had a little bit more intervention early on, um, I think it could have alleviated years of pain for me. It could have alleviated an attempt at suicide. 
Now, again, we look at the flip side of it. On the second time that I had planned to um, commit suicide, the my second attempt was an attempt where my parents, uh, they didn't know, but on the night that I had planned on doing it, um, my dad sent me to Christian camp and that's where I encountered Christ for the first time. Mm-hmm. So in a real deep level. So you have to think about it in the other way too. Like I don't blame my parents because if it hadn't been for mm-hmm. them, God using them without them recognizing it, I wouldn't be here with Christ. So you you know, it's hard to not beat yourself up as a parent Mm -hmm. when you don't recognize it Mm -hmm. and you don't, but you have to recognize that God is still working. And it, it's silly for us to believe that as parents, we are the ones that dictate whether our children survive or not survive, Mm -hmm. right? Like God is bigger than us. And so there's encouragement in that as well. I mean, yes, it'd be nice if someone had identified that for me, but we can't blame, I can't blame myself for, or my parents. Mm -hmm. God still used us. So anyways, yeah, that was my tangent. Wow, soapbox. Put that, that away. Was good. No, that was good. That was good. Yeah, I have nothing to add. <laughs> <laughs> Everything she said, perfect. Yeah, right. That's not even true. <laughs> well, Kira, talk mm-hmm. to us a little bit about. I know in this last year, just with COVID, and you've got you know, you're you've been experiencing some depression and anxiety struggles with your mm-hmm. family. Mm-hmm. And you said there's mm-hmm. some kind of family history there. So how are you, you know, learning to parent? How are you, you know, how are you helping them through this or, or what, what are you doing to kind of help this situation in your home? Mm-hmm. Um, it was, thank you for sharing Mariah, because it was for to hear from a sort of a teenage looking, reflecting on a teenage um, experience with, um, you know, I have a middle schooler and I mentioned a senior, um, uh, my middle schooler probably last, last summer, I would say, you know, there was a pretty, a chunk of time there where he was, you know, was depressed probably like if he had been diagnosed, I think, you know, he had lost interest in doing the things that he loved, riding his bike, hanging out with friends. And he's kind of the, he's a more gregarious extroverted guy. And he just was so, blue there for a long time, which, you know, I think that was kind of in the height of COVID and having to stay home and those kinds of things. So um, thankfully we, you know, we um, just kind of recognized where he was and were there for him and tried to uh, just with time and being able to do, uh, introduce things that he was, you know, that he loved or to kind of, we stuck with it. Um, I also think that what it provided an opportunity for as parents to say, um, make decisions for him. You know, sometimes, you know, the people pleaser in me, you know, it's kind of, or a rule follower. It was like, well, doing this, that, and the other, but it was really identifying, well, this is what he needs right now. And we need to make these choices for him. You know, I, I mean, there were times that I know I let people down. I had no, I know we, I disappointed people and had people tell me how that they were disappointed, which was uncomfortable mm. to hear. But at the same time, I really learned through that sort of season with him that we've just got to do what we need to do for our kids mm. and their spirits and to uplift them in the way that they can, that we can. And I would say with my older son, um, you know, we are coming out of a season of anxiety and it has been a difficult time for him, probably at least the past six months or more, um, you know, baseball has been a backdrop and a great joy for him. And it became a place of um, just darkness 
Um, he was his kind of mentally and physically unable to throw a baseball, which is a there is a thing that can, you know, it's it's a legitimate thing. Um, but it became a place of he hid things from us. It became a darkness and him a, be, hiding and unable to reach out. And I think <clears throat> the greatest thing that I have learned through that kind of, again, following up what Mariah said is. There is help out there. And I felt like for a long time, six or seven months up until just last month, I felt kind of like I was this little mom on the sideline. Help. Can somebody help? Mm-hmm. Um, the sideline of life. Um, reaching out to people that I knew, reaching out to people in our circle or or coaches or, or whatever, just kept reaching out. And it felt like every door slammed mm-hmm. and I could not there was not help available for what he needed. But um, this within the past month, I, you know, it in, as the darkness continued, kind of the darkness continued and he got to the point of just, again, being so fearful and in a difficult spot. I just, I kept Googling. I kept, you know, I was like, we cannot, I can't, I can't just lie down in defeat with this. I have to, um, and, and I just had one note to share also, which was interesting. This was like just about a month ago and I had written in my journal. It seemed like one other thing, you know, this thing that he was going to go do that didn't happen. And it, I put, I wrote in my journal, this, I think this is the nail in the coffin. Like I felt like it was the end. There was no hope. We were just going to give up and quit. And then the interesting thing was, I think was within two days, two or three days later in our one year Bible reading, the verse said, it was Isaiah twenty two twenty five. The time will come when I will pull out the nail that seemed so firm. Mm-hmm. And I just felt, you know, it's just like, I, it's like there, if it's just keep going and keep seeking. And, you know, I don't, I, there is help. There is, there is something or someone out there, but it just sometimes, um, that's what I felt like for this age, especially it has been hard to find, but it is there. Hmm. So, yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that, Kira. Mm-hmm. And we're going to kind of lead into that a little bit as far as, you know, different things that, you know, maybe have kind of helped or have eased, you know, some of your depression, anxiety. But one thing I, I do want to kind of jump into, and again, is Mariah, you had kind of talked about when you realized that something was wrong mm-hmm. and sort of that internal, you know, processing. Um, and a little bit about uh, how it had at the time and sort of taken a little bit of a toll on your marriage. And I know in um, our conversation that we had on an earlier podcast, when we were talking to the stay at home mom. Um, one of the gals was kind of talking about through some postpartum and things and really having to get her spouse on board because he didn't really understand it. And she needed she was like, I was not in the mental state to be effective taking care of my kids. You know, she just felt like she needed to rely on her husband so heavily through that time and really go through the whole kind of healing process, if you will, together. Like they had to be, you know, teammates in that. And so talk to me about just, just about this kind of about how you sort of recognize those feelings and how you, you know, have kind of worked through it with, with your husband to, to kind of get on a plan as far as sort of, I don't want to say if the tacking's too yeah. <laughs> aggressive of a word, but kind of attack this head on as far as of, of kind of what you've been dealing with. Yeah. Um, I remember after my middle son Pratt 
was a couple months old, um, the moment I recognized something was wrong, it was, I had had an event and, um, somebody had come up to me, this guy had come up to me and he, he reamed me uh, it, for something. It doesn't matter, but he said some pretty harsh things to me. And I remember going home and sobbing and I was crying and I was crying and I was crying over these things. This guy said to me, he wasn't like mean necessarily. He wasn't vicious, but he was harsh and he was aggressive in his tone. And I remember in that moment sitting and I stopped and I recognized that I felt absolutely nothing towards my husband. Mm -hmm. I felt that the moments that I should have had a reaction to my husband about my marriage, I felt nothing. But yet this random person who has no bearing in my life made me cry for days on end Mm -hmm. over his harsh tone. And I realized in that moment, something is wrong if I'm having a massive reaction over this guy and no reaction over my husband. And I remember walking up to my husband right around that time the whole few days were a blur. And I walked up to him and I said, I'm not kidding. I literally said, something is wrong and I'm not okay. And I don't know what to do, but I will figure it out. And he said, all right, let's figure it out. And to his credit, he doesn't get it. He doesn't understand Mm -hmm. it, but he, both times now that I've come to him with this, he said, okay, let's figure it out. What do Mm -hmm. we got to do? And I I made an appointment immediately. I went into my doctor and I said, something is wrong. I'm, and I explained the situation to her and, um, she was eager to get, to get me help. She was eager to do something. And it was a blessing when it came to my third, because I knew the warning signs. Mm -hmm. And so I was able to, you know, very quickly, it was almost immediate. And I don't remember what it was, but I remember being like, okay, warning flag, red flag, red flag. And I pulled my husband aside and I said, I'm just warning you now. I'm feeling these red flags. I'm starting to recognize the behaviors cropping up again. These feel these thoughts in my head. And he said, all right, let's get on the front end of it this time. Mm-hmm. And so he was like, make an appointment. And I think to his, what he did for me was he was able to even simple things like being available to take the kids so that I can go into an appointment, being able to say, there's nothing wrong with getting medication. There's Mm -hmm. nothing wrong with having a counselor. There's nothing wrong with needing someone to talk to. I think that was it. But in the thick of it, I'm sure it was debilitating for him Mm -hmm. to see his wife struggling and know he can do nothing about it. And there were many moments when we struggled because I would we would be fighting. I vividly remember a couple months back we were arguing and <clears throat> I, I had a full fledged anxiety attack. I got out of the car. I pulled like, a, it was like, a, it was like, I was like a, t- like an emotional teenager. I get out of the car. I slam the door in the parking lot. I start walking through the parking lot and he drives up beside me and he's like, get in the car. And I feel like a crazy person. Right. And I know that I, I, I feel like one of those movies, you know, where there's the girl walking down the road and the guy's like, get in. I'm like, I roll down a little farther. I'm like sitting, I'm sitting here thinking like someone's going to call the cops because yeah. they're going to be like, this guy's stalking her. He was like, get in the car, you crazy person. And I'm like, I'm like, I can't breathe. And I'm on the ground, head between my knees, hyperventilating, sobbing. Mm -hmm. And he's like, can you please just get in the car? 
And I'm and he, I get in the car because I don't want someone to call the cops. That's really the only reason I got in the car. Mm-hmm. And he goes, what do you need? And I screamed in his face. I don't know. Mm. I don't know what I need. I don't know how to fix this. If I knew what I needed, I could figure it out. Mm-hmm. And it was very scary for both of us to mm. to say for me to say, I don't know how to fix this. And for him to say, OK, uh, th- what else do you say? He just mm-hmm. said, OK well, let's figure it out. Get mm-hmm. your, get your butt to the doctor. Mm-hmm. You're crazy. <laughs> and don't make me follow you in the parking lot. <laughs> <creepy> <laughs> like again. So I, I like, hindsight, I'm sitting back there like, this is not my behavior. I'm, uh-huh. I'm fairly even. I can generally put thoughts and, and, and feelings to how my body's reacting. And I couldn't, mm-hmm. and I felt like a crazy person and that's mm-hmm. not fun. That's not fun. No. So, well, I've said that with my husband that he, cause he doesn't understand um, a lot of my anxieties and how stressed out I get over things. And I'm a bit of a planner and that's just how I operate. And I feel like he, he knows that I always have a plan for something. So when I don't have a plan to f- help myself, mm. he's a little like, okay, what is like, okay, what's going on? Mm-hmm. But I've asked him in it because he'll say, why are you worrying about something that's happening in like five years? I'm, you know, I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, well, if we move here and if we do this, well, like in five years when you know, Ellie's in this grade in school and how is that going to work? And where am I going to be? And how am I going to be able to make this happen? And he's like, Mandy, like, come on. Like that is just, he thinks it's just crazy to, to, to worry about something that a, I really don't have any control over and be something that is so far out. And I just, I pick things down to like the most minute detail of how something could not go wrong or need to be fixed. And he doesn't get that. So I overwhelm him mm. so much, I think, with those, the way that I, I pick things and break things apart. Mm. But I told him, I was like, this is how I, this is how I feel like I am built and this is how I process things. And it might not be the way you do. And you may not understand how I feel, but I need you to be understanding. I need you to understand that this is something I struggle with every mm. single day mm-hmm. and it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. And I think that just kind of bringing that sort of awareness to him, I think has been helpful he, you know, then a lot of times now it's like I, our husbands, I mean, love them, but um, they do try to fix because I don't think they know what to do when their wives are kind of like hurting or losing it a little bit. And that that's, I think, hard for them to see because I think he knows that I do have mostly a plan. And when I don't, that's scary for him. And he doesn't want to see me that way, which I appreciate. But with kind of those things of, of being understanding of, of getting help of, of, sort of dealing with these things. Um, talk to me about, you know, ways that you've helped yourself through this, whether it's medication, counseling, exercise, what are kind of some of those steps that you guys have taken um, to sort of help maybe? Chocolate. Chocolate. <laughs> Chocolate's great. <laughs> I'll text my husband and be like, it's a Coke day. And he'll bring me a Coke. For and then he knows. Mm-hmm. All right. It's been a day. It's been a day. Uh-huh. But I mean, because I do, I do believe that, there still is. And, and again, I, not to say that COVID is great, but it has brought some mm-hmm. awareness and attention, I think, to a lot of different things. And one of those things I, I think is with counseling. A lot of mm-hmm. people have mm-hmm. sought out counseling, whether or not you think that's great for you or not. I have done it at times. And I do think that there, you know, you need to find somebody you're comfortable talking mm-hmm. with. Um, but I, I do think it's kind of taken a little bit of that stigma away that Oh, you go to counseling. Oh, there must be something, you know, majorly wrong when no, you really just need to talk. So 
talk to me guys. What is it that, you know, you do, done? I do go to mm-hmm. counseling, but my counselor mm-hmm. told me that she's like more of a life coach mm-hmm. or a mentor or something. So then it doesn't have that stigma around mm. it. But um, one of my favorite counselors is I've never met her. Mm. And we, we she counsels me over the phone. And that's not because of COVID. That's just how it is because she lives in a different state. And because I've never met her and she's not a part of my circle and it wasn't a referral from a family friend mm-hmm. of, hey, go to this counselor, yeah. mm-hmm. I give her every detail mm-hmm. because I know she can't do anything with it. She can't. I don't have that fear of she's going to call CPS on me. She has no idea where I live or what I look like. (laughs) Thank goodness. Um, And so I think it's important to find that something that Mm -hmm. they don't know your circle. So you can be 100% um, honest. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, I was on medicine from fifth grade probably. And then I went off of that when I got married so I could have kids. But I, there's always a time and place, I think, for medicine mm-hmm. when it comes to that. Mm-hmm. But counseling is, I think people should be in counseling all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I personally am on, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm on Wellbutrin. Um, and I took a long time to figure out what medication worked for me. And I tried Xanax and I've tried Zoloft and I didn't want anything um, that had any addictive properties because of my past and because of my my the generational thing of, of my parents being dependent. And I didn't want that. And so I went for Wellbutrin because for the sole fact that it's less of an addictive um, medication, I tried a naturopath. Um, I don't have the patience for a naturopath (laughs) because I don't want to spend six months trying to figure out which supplements Mm -hmm. are going to work for me. Uh, so for me, I wanted an immediate boost. Mm -hmm. That was my thing is I was like, I just need something quick. I need something to boost and then I can wean off of it. And I've gone on and off over the past seven, eight months. And, (coughs) um, it's also finding other good coping mechanisms. And I think that's what takes time. So if medication and if counseling is not for you, that's okay. Mm -hmm. It maybe it's working out, maybe it's going for walks, maybe it's, but I think Mm -hmm. we need to give ourselves the time and the space to find out what it is. Mm -hmm. So for me, medication worked for Jen, counseling works Mm -hmm. with a perfect stranger, with a perfect stranger. (laughs) I mean, it might be working out for me. It's not working out. That's more stressful for me, (laughs) but you know, it's, it's taking the time and giving yourself the space to try different things, mm-hmm. but also not telling yourself that anything is wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are unhealthy coping mechanisms. We should clarify. There are things sure. that are unhealthy mm-hmm. that we should not be using, mm-hmm. but there is nothing wrong with getting a mood boost medication. There's nothing wrong with needing counseling. There's nothing wrong with deciding yoga is your thing, mm-hmm. you know, and finding healthy ways is important. It just won't look the same for everybody. And I like to write in a journal, you know, Mm -hmm. I journal every morning and I, I mean, boy, I get the ugly stuff out and it is down on that piece of paper and there's something that I find to be helpful. And, you know, sometimes I'll do it kind of a note to God, but sometimes it's just like, I am just want to get the ugly stuff from inside out. And I find that's a really helpful thing for me in the morning to kind of start almost like a kind of a morning cleanse, you know, Mm -hmm. just get that out. Mm -hmm. And then whatever it is that maybe stuck with me overnight. So um, I've also done counseling, you know, in um, 
a number of years ago, we've done some marriage counseling. And I think that I have loved, I love the process of that also, mm-hmm. you know, just talking through. And again, it's that person on the, that has a, an outside perspective that can bring, um, just bring things to light that you didn't see. And so now my older son has also seen, uh, has found a per- sports psychologist that he talks with. And that's what I, that's what has been neat to talk about with him. My son is that, you know, this if you put yourself into this, you're going to grow through this and you're going to, you're going to come out, you know, knowing yourself better. Um, and you will also just find, you know, you're going to find things that are going to help you in the future through that process also. And that's what I, you know, it's just, again, that idea of getting things out in the light, um, I think is helpful. So, and I like to run and walk too. I'll drive behind you. Like, keep it up. Keep running. Way to go. So what do you guys say to the person who feels like everything is overwhelming to the person who Mm. doesn't understand? Jen, you talked about this idea of saying that you could do anything for 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk to us about that? Yeah. um, One of the things my counselor was talking to me about was, um, so she she keeps having me go through um, these exercises of going back in my memory of wounds that I've had. Mm-hmm. And she's like, you can do anything for 20 minutes. You need to go through this. Mm-hmm. And we're just going to do it for 20 minutes and then we can move on to something happier. And the way that I'm able to do that is just so that I can fix or make sense or whatever of what my past has, what the roots are. So that um, I can be better and, and fix things. And so, like, I'll even be, like, going on a ride with my son. <sighs> okay, I can do anything for 20 mm-hmm. minutes. And I'll be okay. And so it's just getting through those next 20 minutes and keep telling myself that. And then um, and then hopefully my husband comes home and takes me. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, my 20 minutes is up. Camera set. Like, <laughs> real. <laughs> Well, and so I'm, we're going to talk suicide here. So this is a big thing that comes with it. And I thought it was fairly alarming that two thirds of those who commit suicide struggle with depression. So obviously there's a correlation there for, you know, kind of whatever, um, those reasons are, but, um, you guys have shared, we've, we've talked previously and we've, you know, kind of shared some different instances and Mariah, you know, you have kind of referenced that you know, in high school, you um, attempted suicide. And so with this, if, if, I mean, if you guys want to share at this point, I know Jen, you had kind of made some comments when we had talked before about getting to the next day Mm. of, you know, kind of Mm. having some of those like suicidal thoughts. And we've, we've talked our existence and kind of our purpose here. And so I'm going to leave this open to you guys to kind of talk through some of this. If you're open to wanting to, to talk through it. But I really think it's that kind of idea of getting to the next day. I, I, you know, just giving that encouragement to somebody who is struggling and who again, doesn't know where, where to turn or, or think that, you know, that they should live another day and be here. So do you guys want to talk to that? Um, a friend of mine just had a suicide in their family or one of their friends and he, um, he, it was an impulse because the walls were closing in, didn't know what to do. Everything seemed super overwhelming. And the thing about it is, 
at least for me, when it comes to suicidal thoughts is I'm trying to plan for those next five years and how this is going to work. And all I need to focus on is tomorrow, Mm -hmm. getting to tomorrow. And so it's this overwhelming of there's no way out. Everyone would be better off if I didn't exist. Not that I would want to harm them or harm myself. Not that I would want to um, do anything that would hurt other people. But if I just didn't exist and um, would it make everyone's life better? Would it make it easier? Um, Because the walls, because it's just so overwhelming Mm -hmm. thinking about the whatever is to come, the deadlines or um, just the day-to-day living um, and just how overwhelming that is. And so, um, yeah, you get to a point where it's it people say a lot of times suicide's selfish and to me it's probably the moment where you are not thinking about yourself the most you're thinking about everyone else and how their life is affected by you in a bad way instead of thinking about how everyone else's life is affected by you in a good way and it's those own it's those internal thoughts that the devil takes captive and just he's you know he's the best um at knowing the, the the Bible, he's better than I am. So he's able to use it and say things like, this is a sacrifice. You're doing this to save others. Mm-hmm. Or you're, um, you deserve to, or your family members deserve something better. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's those thoughts that he uses that, make it seem like it would just be better if I didn't exist because then everyone else would be fine and he uses lies yeah the Mm -hmm. lies and and but if and this is the thing that I think is so important about sharing if you share these thoughts and these lies, somebody else can debunk them and say, mm-hmm. no, no, that's not what the Bible says at all. Mm-hmm. Here is the truth. And so I have on my phone, um, the on my whatever, screen, shelter, screen, saver, whatever it is. <laughs> and it just says that um, um, whatever is pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, mm-hmm. think about such things. And so I've had to have that on there, just a reminder of, okay, are these thoughts mm-hmm. from God mm-hmm. or are these straight from the devil? Put them through that filter that you mm-hmm. have on your phone. Yeah, right. That's great. A friend of mine, also my counselor, she said, think of the thoughts as a sushi conveyor belt. Mm-hmm. Only take off the ones that are true and mm-hmm. only take off the ones that are of God, the ones that he's actually saying. Because, yes, I could say that my kids might be happier with a different mom from my perspective because I'm failing. But I guarantee you they wouldn't agree with that. Mm-hmm. And and so, um, yeah, it's just thinking about getting to the next day. And the best part about the next day is a hug from your child mm-hmm. after feeling like he doesn't want you or you think he doesn't want you. It's not even true. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you do spend a lot of time in the Bible. You do spend a lot of time with scripture. So how can somebody who 
doesn't, maybe somebody who isn't a Christian or maybe somebody who is or believes they are, but doesn't really know where to go. How do they take, you know, their feelings? How do they, what would be a good stepping stone or a good first step for them to take to maybe get into God's word, to start reading the scriptures to, or maybe it is to, you know, taking that verse that you shared and like you said, kind of going through and sort of, you know, what is pure, you, you know, going through and kind of comparing those two things to kind of think those thoughts. Do you guys have any tips for anybody to, as far as ways they can kind of take us, take a step here? Because if, if they don't have God's word and know what is true and what isn't, you know, where, where do they go from, from this and from having those struggles and how, how do we get them to the next day? I think there's a lot of encouraging devotionals, mm-hmm. um, maybe like, a Elisa Turkhurst, you know, mm-hmm. she with Proverbs 31 ministries or, uh, like Beth Moore, um, living proof ministries, a lot of, um, really wonderful women of faith, uh, Christine Kane, um, that have, or Joyce Myers are just kind of <laughs> at all different ages and not, but there are, I get, I subscribe to different emails of devotionals and that'll just take a little chunk, a little nugget of a verse sometimes. And then the author or the writer will just kind of sort of pour out her circumstances um, and, you know, uh, go through the verse a little bit, but it's really, I, it's some of those mornings I, you know, it's somebody talking about something, you know, whether it's the guilt and the shame or the feelings of failure and they really um, share their emotions in, in some of these devotionals. And I think that's a great way to feel uplifted. I find, you know, sometimes it's one of those almost like reading the Bible where you just, it, you get in your inbox, the exact message that you needed mm-hmm. to hear. So even some, you know, on Twitter, I'm, you know, there's people that just really insightful, um, wonderful women of, of faith who have encouragements that way that kind of um, it's not sort of just a reading of the Bible, but it puts it application and, and, and puts feelings and emotions to it. So I find those helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, I think also just, just be mindful of what you are reading, watching, listening to. I think even just that simple step of what radio station are you listening to? Like what's going in your car while you're driving? The more that we are aware of what we're putting into our, what we're feeding our soul with, that's the outpouring of what we have. So if you're listening to a Christian station, they always have those little nuggets Mm -hmm. of encouragement between songs, or God always has a way of putting the right song in at the right Mm -hmm. moment. And Mm -hmm. I think the very first step when those feelings start to get overwhelming or when when the negative thoughts start to creep in, you may not have all this scripture under your belts mm-hmm. of to combat that yet. And that's okay, but it's paying attention to what are you feeding into yourself right now in this exact moment? Can I turn on a Christian station? Can I pull up on my Spotify, a Christian playlist? Can I put, you know, something along those lines just to give yourself some life, um, some, some Christ pouring into you? That's always a good first step. And then you kind of calm yourself down a little mm-hmm. bit and then you can Google uplifting verses and then you kind mm-hmm. of have more mm-hmm. wherewithal. But mm-hmm. I think that first step is, yeah, what are you pour? What is in, what is coming into your mm-hmm. eyes, That's your good. ears mm-hmm. right now? So. One of the things that I think um, can help 
no matter your religion or not, is would you say those things to your children? Mm-hmm. Would those thoughts that you are having, would you want your child to have those thoughts? Mm-hmm. And so why are you having those thoughts? And that's what I come back to a lot mm-hmm. is um, that's not what I would ever want my children to feel. Mm-hmm. Or and if you don't have children, would you tell your 10-year-old self those things? Mm-hmm. Or like a brother Would or sister. Would you tell your word? dog yeah. those things? Exactly. I mean, my yeah. goodness. <laughs> so, I mean, even if you don't have a faith, which I can't imagine going through this without a faith, mm-hmm. but even if you don't, how would those words affect somebody else? Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. So we are going to kind of wrap up today with some, I mean, I think we've given them some different tips and things, but something encouraging for our listeners, something that we can kind of end with here. So to the struggling elementary school kid, to the teen, to the mom, to the dad, to the whoever might be listening to this or who can share something, what's one, you know, encouraging word or what's an encouraging thing that you can give to our listeners to end with today? I think, um, I think that as a church, we have done a disservice to those who are struggling with mental um, Mm -hmm. things. I think that we have said the church is a place for the broken. Christ wants the broken. But then we tell you, you come in and you're not allowed to say that you're broken. Mm -hmm. You're not allowed to say that you're struggling because you have to have it all together because you're a Christian. And so I think I am so grateful that we live in a current climate. We're talking about mental illness. We're talking about depression and anxiety has become more prevalent because it breaks my heart that the church has not done enough to tell people that their struggle is okay. And for me, I think that's something that we can be excited about is the fact that we are now creating a space in doing these podcasts and stuff is we're creating a space where we come in and say, you can struggle here. You can be Mm -hmm. broken here. And while you wrestle with what you're dealing with and while you wrestle with the next steps and while you wrestle with even questioning your faith and all Mm -hmm. of this, it's okay to ask those questions. It's Mm -hmm. okay to have those hard conversations. It's okay to ask Christ, are you real in all Mm -hmm. of this? And what do you want in all of Mm -hmm. this? And I think that, um, it's encouraging for me to see the church start to become a place where we can actually practice what we preach of you are allowed to be broken. Christ wants you're broken. And until this point, we have done a disservice to Christians by telling them they couldn't. Mm. And uh, I think, excuse me, I think that that's something I would say is we're in a great time. We're in Mm -hmm. a time where it's okay. And if you're struggling it's okay. Mm-hmm. And there are options. There are churches. There is us. There is, you know, places you can go and resources. And these resources are now more prevalent than ever. And we are creating a church that's okay to feel things and that it's okay to, to struggle with your faith. I think that's exactly what Christ wants. He wants us to be bold in our faith. And part of that means questioning things. And so I believe that we have created a, an environment. I think that this is important. What we're doing right now mm-hmm. is important and is valuable. And so my encouragement would be to, to step out 
and 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 say i'm not okay mm -hmm. and um because there is us there's people who work at a church who are literally telling you we're not okay mm -hmm. and so you can walk into this place and know that when you see us smiling on a sunday morning we are all struggling as well mm -hmm. and so if that's any encouragement I can give is that, you know, you walk into a church sometimes and you expect everyone to be perfect and you can't be broken and you can't struggle. And that's the complete antithesis of what we're supposed to be showing. And so I am doing my part to change that, mm -hmm. to change that narrative mm -hmm. that it's not, it's okay to not be okay. Mm -hmm. And so I, my encouragement is walk in and grab someone and say something mm -hmm. because we're not going to say, oh, you're crazy. We're putting you into a home. Like we're going to say, how can we come mm -hmm. alongside you? Mm -hmm. Because this is exactly what Christ wants us to do. Mm -hmm. So my encouragement would be say something, mm -hmm. just say something mm -hmm. because the church is becoming a place that's safe. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important. Mm -hmm. I would echo that. I just, the idea that you're, that we're not alone, uh, you know, I feel like, um, and kind of just to follow up, yes, with what you said, I think I, I cried probably almost every day of the summer. Mm -hmm. There would be a couple of days I didn't cry, but for the most part, every day of the summer I cried, it just was a very difficult time. And, um, you know, also in your questioning, you know, I, I knew God was there. I knew he loved me. I believed in him, but I didn't feel it. Mm. I didn't feel it. Um, but I, I just, I was, I, I knew that he did, but I just kind of went, I just was tried to be honest in my, in my, in my prayer time with mm. him, you know, finding the Psalms. That's kind of something I talked with Jesse about a little earlier, just the Psalms. There was, I think it was Psalm 13. How long, O oh Lord? How long, O oh Lord? How long, how long, how long? <laughs> and you can, that's, that's, I think almost every day, like it was just felt like um, so difficult to see your kids in pain, to see your kids hurting and in a dark place. It was excruciating. Um, but like uh, you said, Mariah, just the encouragement of we're not alone. And to come and just to sit with somebody, share those hard times, share those, what you're going through and, and get it out. Like, you know, I said to my son recently, it, this is all out in the light. Mm. It is in the light. Everything now is in, is in the open. Everybody's on the same page. Let's just live in this mm -hmm. and remember it. Remember what it feels like for it to be dark. But this is what Jesus is. It's the light. So let's just stay, just to stay open and honest with each other. And I would say, yeah, even that's, that's, that's a person at church. That's a neighbor. That's a friend. That's not just a family member. Let's just be in the light together and, and share together. So, um, I would say if I was listening to this, what I would want to hear is grieve until I'm happy. So the things that, I mean, you hear all the time, a death or something, you grieve those things. But do you grieve the inability? My husband is too old to join the army now. Was that a dream of his? Did he grieve it? Mm. And mm. is he thankful for it now? Um, and so I think we think our um, things that we should be grieving is not grieve worthy. Yeah. And... Uh, when we can be thankful for the things that we've gone through, 
I think our grieving process is over and we can move on and it doesn't become this deep rooted wound that springs up whenever. Um, and so I say you grieve until you're thankful and uh, be okay with grieving. Mm-hmm. That's excellent. I think that's an excellent, mm-hmm. excellent word, wor- word of wisdom that there has been a lot of loss mm-hmm. in the past, you know, in especially in the past 18 months. And we are all grieving different things. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of different losses. But I just love those words of wisdom that you shared. Yeah. Yeah. And I would just kind of add to that, that, you know, that to know that you're loved, to know that somebody cares you know, we talked about that a lot of, you know, you know, when Jen had said earlier, you know, would you say those things to somebody else, you know, to your kids, you know, to a friend or something and just knowing that you're not alone and it's okay to not be okay. And that you, you know, that if I knew about anything about anybody, I would want to be there to, to support and to, and to just know that somebody is there. I mean, Kira and I joke a lot about starting, starting support groups mm-hmm. for, I think we've got in the works about like five serious, yes, maybe yes. like eight to we, 10, you know, other ones, <laughs> you know, we kind of throw that around, but it's, you know, but there are people out there. There are people who mm-hmm. want to be with you and want to help and would, I think just be so sad and heartbroken to know that you were maybe struggling alone or to mm-hmm. know that you're you know, you're feeling alone in your thoughts or to just to know that that's how, how you are perceiving life and how you are, how you're getting through the day. And so just know that you are loved and people care about you and there's somebody out there who wants to sit with you and somebody who wants to, wants to be there for you. And if I could encourage those who are not in the thick of it, I mean, I'm, I'm struggling every day with it, but at the same time, like I'm in a good spot right now. And mm-hmm. so on the other side of the coin, if you're not struggling, if you're not in the thick of all this stuff, work to be the person who can just sit with someone Mm -hmm. in their grief, Mm -hmm. work to be the type of person that when you are struggling, that's what you want. So I want to be the type of friend that Jen can come to and I can just sit there with her in her grief or in her as she's struggling and as she's grieving until she's happy, I can sit. I don't have to try to fix. I don't have to try to be the encourager. I can be that person. And so if you're not struggling right now, maybe the challenge for you is that you need to work to be the person Mm -hmm. who is approachable for those who are struggling and who can just sit in their grief without having to fix it. So, yeah, well, that's good. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us today and for listening. Ladies, I appreciate Mm -hmm. you so much being open and honest and vulnerable today to talk about this, this topic. It's heavy. It's Mm -hmm. big. It's everywhere. And I think more people than we know are struggling with it. And so I do appreciate you guys coming here today. And hopefully if you are listening, you are able to take something away from this and help somebody who is Mm -hmm. struggling or be there for, you know, advocate for yourself and let somebody know. And so thank you again for listening. And, um, Our next Getting Real About topic will air Wednesday, November 24th. And we're going to be talking about preparing for the holidays Mm. with family and traditions and all that kind of stuff. I know we've got some big Christmas fans in here. So I think she's already been doing that. that. How many days left? Do you know? There's not many. Not many. I think I saw last week there's like only a couple like Fridays left, like four. Oh, golly. Something crazy. It's just a crazy number that I was like, what the heck? But so we're excited about that. So thanks again for joining me today, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.